people seem to be implying that I shouldn't get too comfortable. Oh, nonsense. It's not as if anyone expects you to oh, vanish overnight under mysterious circumstances to a strange Minbari post. Why, that would be unprecedented in the station's history. If I were married to Londo Molari, I'd be concerned. Jikar, if you were married to Londo Molari, we'd all be concerned. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. everyone out there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies and first ones who are either watching the show for the very first time or have probably watched it way too many times and we are here to discuss today soulmates which is season two a lot of you are going to be asking right off the bat uh, why are we talking about soulmates? Well, it's because, you know, partially because Scott screwed up last week and said, hey, we're watching soulmates. Along with that, we are in the process of figuring out what order <laughs> we're going to watch this thing in. Because as you are probably aware, as of the uh, dropping of this episode, HBO Max no longer has Babylon 5. Uh, it is leaving or left January 25th. That was the order we were using because that was the most accessible to most people who are listening to this podcast. The thought and the intention is I would assume that sooner or later Babylon 5 will find its way to another streamer or find its way back on HBO Max. As JMS even pointed out in the tweet, these licenses happen for about every two years and then they get reset and go somewhere else. So right now, we're going to continue on watching the show, obviously. All of our guys here have copies one way or the other. You can get digital copies. You'll have to pay for them, unfortunately, in the United States or their DVDs are out there as well, too, in the secondary market. But the HBO Max order, which was the intended order, had the next episode being this week, which would have been A Race Through Dark Places. The Lurker's Guide, which shows the original airing dates, had Soulmates going first. So we're going to uh, this week go off of um, the Lurker's Guide, because at that point when I was picking the episode, I was like, oh, HBO Max is dead, so we'll just do that. But I do recognize that Race Through Dark Places was intended to be the episode that came next, even though in the original airing order back in the 90s, that wasn't the case. So that's that's where we are in terms of order. I know some of the first ones here have thoughts about orders as well, too. So feel free to chime in. Well, and, one of these days we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's one of the things with this show. There's like five or six different orders because there's the intended order. There's the broadcast order. There's the UK airing order, which got all kinds of messed up. Then you've got HBO Max, which I think put the other three in a blender and spit something out. Mm-hmm. You've got the Apple TV order, which, by the way, you know, we put out the new list over the weekend, right, Scott? Or right at yeah. the end of last week. Yeah. Guess what Apple updated for the Apple order? <laughs> Are you serious? I looked at that today and just went, son of a bitch. We can't win, folks. They changed the order on Apple TV. So I don't the hell know what order we're supposed to watch this damn show. Maybe we just figure it out week to week. 
And that's, I think, what's going to have to happen is we're just going to like, okay, next week, watch this. <laughs> okay. Everyone's got copies of everything now. I think like Justin's got season two on DVD and working on getting season three down the road. A lot of you have digital copies. Some of you bought the whole series already. <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go. I will point out even JMS doesn't have an official order. Depending on what year he's talking, his orders change too. So it is what it is. I will say it will get a lot easier in a few weeks. I think once we get past the coming of shadows, which is not a spoiler, that's the name of the season, the show becomes much more serialized, especially when we get to the end of season two and into season three. At that point, I'll be like, well, the next episode is, you know, 10 minutes after the last episode. So it shouldn't be too hard. That's the way it is right now. But to the main point, we're, we're in new territory now that the Babylon 5, for the first time since we started the show, is no longer free to the masses with subscription. So hopefully uh, you all stick with us. Many of you already have copies. But uh, what I will also do is I'll do some uh, quick research and put some links in the show notes about other places that you can find this as well too, legal places. So anyone who still may not have a copy, I'll put some notes in there about where you can potentially find the copy as well too. So before we actually get to talking about this episode, Soulmates, I'm Scott and with me as always is Emily, Blake, Justin, Andrew, Jesse, Nicole, John, Evan, and Ryan. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh no. Smoothly crash the party. Yeah. I'm back. Ryan from Yum Yum Podcast. Now Ryan reached out to me on Twitter and said, hey, race through dark places is coming i really want to be on that episode (laughs) and here we are he's on soulmates (laughs) because again orders are fun and also uh he's got you know a life or something i don't understand so but ryan welcome thank you so much for joining us again it's always a pleasure to have you it's a bigger pleasure for some of us rather than the others but uh we do having you here okay (laughs) jesse raises her hand (laughs) i know I know our good friend, uh, you know, Jesse's very happy for me to be back. Ryan does have a fan club on this podcast. Yeah, yes. Jesse, Emily, yes. Nicole, Blake, Andrew, yeah. uh, Jonathan. They've got, so- they've got Dakota rings. <laughs> I wasn't, John, John, John and I didn't get to talk last time. So maybe this time we'll win each other over. I wasn't, I wasn't here. That's true. So I got high expectations because all these, all these guys and gals do is just talk about, boy, that Ryan, boy, that Australian, that accent. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited too, as the famous Australian spokesperson, Big Kev Slogan, he's the Australian equivalent of Billy Mays. He used to say, I'm excited. So I'm excited too, John. Now I need to go watch Billy Mays commercials. No, no, watch Big Kev. Watch Big oh, Kev. Big, Big Kev, got it. Mm-hmm. And he's he was a big guy. He's no longer with us. And um, the name kind of answers why. <laughs> God. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> On that morbid note, last week we did select the winner of the John Sheridan action figure from the reviews. And I usually do read reviews from Apple, but today I want to read something that came into us from Instagram. Uh, and this is from Charlie. And Charlie says, Hello, I just wanted to let you know how much I love your podcast. I recently discovered it on Spotify and have been listening to catch up. B5 has been a favorite since I have first happened upon it in the episodes back in the 90s. Your podcast also serves as a practical purpose for me, as I have been recently diagnosed with early onset dementia. The fresh takes and lively discussions help engage my brain and have become part of my routine. I'm hoping that I remain present enough to, for the next couple of years to remain with you until the completion. Thank you for all your efforts in the show. They are appreciated. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us. We are with you, buddy. You'll be along for the ride. We'll get through this together. We love you, Charlie. 
Yeah, you got us all in the fields, and we don't have fields. Yeah. <laughs> Not a single yeah. one of us feels anything except when you read that. Yep. Again, a reminder that if you want to communicate with us, Ryan, we're going to get to the show sooner or later, I swear. A reminder that if you want to communicate with us, you have a couple different ways to do it, as Charlie did on Instagram. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. All the links are below. We also have our Patreon, which is open to anyone who wants to help us out we've got behind the scenes content on there if you are a higher uh donor on the patreon we do have also the ability for you to do q a's as well as send in audio that can be played on the show no one's done that yet but y'all know who you are and y'all should probably send in a message and every now and then and then of course we do have our producers the gray council which are listed down below as well thank you so much for everybody for helping us out with that and then if you want to send us an email you can get a hold of us at gray 17 podcast at gmail.com again all the links are down below and we love hearing from you all even if you diagnose me with mental illness it's fine it's fine Uh, we still want to hear from you so please send it all in andrew film boy himself i believe you have a synopsis for us for soulmates yes londo's three wives arrive on babylon 5 two of whom londo intends to divorce meanwhile talia's ex-husband also arrives and offers her the chance to leave psychor and while all this dramatic shit is going on, Delenn struggles with her newly acquired human characteristics. Let's go ahead and hear our first impressions in, and let's do Nicole first. Nicole, first impressions on Soulmates. So this was an interesting one. Uh, it was very lively. There was a lot going on. We had our first cuss word, which was exciting. The wives were interesting. It's funny because I had a first impression on each of them and I, it was totally turned around at the end. But overall, I thought this was a good one. Um, hated Talia's ex-husband. What a douchebag. Did not like him. I really liked uh, how protective Garibaldi was over Talia and how he just wanted to like be there for her. Also, Sheridan jumping in and getting involved, but not like... Like Sinclair level, he just, you know, was like, hey, what's going on, Talia? I'm your friend, which I thought was really sweet. Oh, the party was fun. That was a good time. Also, I don't know if anyone noticed, but Lando said Ivanova. Just want to point that out. I wrote that down and highlighted it. (laughs) So he said it wrong, which made me laugh. I just thought this was a fun episode. The party like that Lando was having looked lit and I would have liked to be there up until the bad part that happened, which we'll get into a little later. But overall, I thought this was a good episode. Not my favorite, but definitely not bad at all. You heard it from Nicole first. I like a good party until somebody gets shot at. Then yeah. not so much. Let's go to John next. First impressions. Well, unsurprisingly, I love this episode. Um, there was a lot of Londo. Uh, there could have been even more Londo. He was throwing 100 almost the entire episode. Hilarious lines, which we can get into. Uh, I will say the other two things that I came away with was uh, great guest stars this week. I know the last couple episodes we kind of shitting on the guest stars and their acting, but you know, all of them brought it this week as well. So I was super happy to see that a couple of like that guy actors and actresses that I was like, Oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. And which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into later. But the other thing that actually, I actually thought this was more of a Talia Garibaldi episode than a Londo episode. I know we focus on Londo and his wives. And I know that was a, a key like plot, but I thought most of the actual development and most of the this traditional story was more Talia and Garibaldi. And I actually liked it, um, which, you know, I, maybe I'm coming around, Nicole. Maybe I, maybe I do stand for Garibaldi. Yes, finally. <laughs> well, let's calm down. I don't know if I still am digging Talia and Garibaldi, but, but I enjoyed this episode. 
Uh, I can't wait to talk about Londo and his wives. And, and again, the just one-liners galore. This, this episode had lots of what you love about Babylon 5, sharp writing, good acting, good funny moments. Um, I know Andrew very funnily himself brushed off the lens human problems, but I thought those were hilarious. And actually left me with a good question too at the end. So um, overall, I really enjoyed this episode. It was really a good palate cleanser from the last two clunkers we had to sit through. So uh, happy to see it. Love Londo. And it was great having to interview Peter <laughs> and then watch this episode and just back in the awesomeness. I only wish we could have watched this episode first and then talked to him and I would have had so many more questions, but uh, it was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Jesse, first impressions. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I uh, laughed out loud several times, which was a a refreshing feeling from the last one that I watched. I think that both plots were great. I enjoyed both. I enjoyed that they have just continued to um, develop Talia because when I first started seeing her I just didn't really care I didn't not I didn't like her or not like her I just she was just present um so it's nice to see a little bit more depth to her and Garibaldi is just steadily like plucking at my heartstrings he said a couple things that remind me of myself today and it was just I I don't know I just thoroughly enjoyed the whole episode yeah we're getting more Talia in the pet next this week, last week, and then next week, we'll actually have Talia as well, too. So <laughs> we're getting our fill of her after we haven't had her for the entire season. Right. Andrew, first impressions. John, you're going to kill me, but I hated Londo in this episode. God's <laughs> <laughs> <Dad's> fired. <laughs> well, like, like, I love Londo, but this episode kind of is a good reminder of the fact that he's still kind of a scumbag. But I did think the way uh, the episode handled Talia having this alleged chance of leaving Psychor was great and uh, uh, somewhat is starting to prove part of my prediction from, I think it was last week, about her defecting from Psychor. Like this probably was another seed getting planted. Uh, and John, the reason I did wasn't a huge fan of the Delenn stuff, it was funny. It was funny, but the quote unquote subplot, because there's not really much of a plot, it's just a bunch of throwaway gags. Uh, didn't really feel all that important, and it probably could have been cut out. To his, Andrew's comments on how Londo acted, I want to point out to the audience, Andrew has never been married. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> so there's somebody who has been married. Justin, tell me your first impressions <laughs> on Babylon 5 Soulmates. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I can I can feel a soft spot for Londo in this one, um, having to deal with some uh, a dynamic personality for a spouse. But I thought the episode was fun. I, I actually kind of enjoyed the whole Dylan thing with she's trying to figure out how to be more human. And the whole hair thing was a little bit crazy, but I actually really liked Jakar. I thought this was a really good episode for Jakar as well. One thing that I kind of latched on to is him, you know, getting a headache trying to figure out why Sinclair went to you know, went to Minbar, you know, and he sees, you know, looking into that. So I'm glad to see them kind of still talking about that. And it just kind of revives my hope that maybe we'll see uh, Sinclair back, you know, at a, at a later time during the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, not much else to say that really hasn't already been said. It was a good episode. I liked it. I have no regrets. Emily, do you have regrets? 
Uh, no, I like this episode much better than the past, what, two or three? I did like getting to see Londo's wives since he's talked about them. So actually getting to see them and know a little bit more about them was helpful. I thought the Talia storyline was really interesting. It gives us more insight into Psycor and just how shit of an organization it really is. Like trying to force members to breed to make better you know telepaths is gross and wrong <laughs> um and i actually thought the bit with the lynn and the hair was kind of funny because even as someone who is human and has been dealing with hair for uh, a few years now um i still feel those struggles on a daily basis same <laughs> same so let's go ahead and go to our first ones. And actually, Ryan, let's hear from you now. Impressions on Soulmates. Well, yeah, it's it's a fun one. Uh, I think it's the first real comedy episode of Babylon 5. There's always comedy in episodes, but this feels the most directly. Everyone's going to have a zinger. Everyone's going to have a funny line. We're going to have whole scenes be, isn't it funny that Sheridan is meeting Londo's wives? Isn't it funny that Jakar is meeting Londo's wives? And many things of that nature. It's also interesting to look at it and um, even for like what you could say is a bit more of a lighter affair episode, there's still many plot points and little moments that rely on continuity, like Lanier getting a pack of cards and it's like, hey, do you remember that episode? And so many little things like that. But I think one of the things that I find rather interesting is the tone is very fun, but the material is very dark. We are dealing with lots of oppression and lots of weird body politics and Talia's storyline. And even in Londo's storyline, one of his wives talks about how she as a woman is made the way she is by the patriarchy. And that's just in amongst all of the fun of Londo wanting to fuck all of his wives at the same time. And uh, Talia having to deal with her ex-husband who also just does not stop having quips. He just has quips. He makes Garibaldi look like a fool in the best of ways. He had so many great lines. So overall, I'm a big fan, and uh, I like the writer as well. Peter David wrote this one, and uh, he's a pretty prolific writer, comic books, Star Trek novels and stuff, and uh, I'm sure other people talk about him, but uh, overall, I'm a fan. Yes, love me some Peter David. Yeah, for me, you know, Peter David will always be Star Trek novels and his Hulk series. His Hulk series is amazing. Let's go to Kevin, first impressions. I was like... Peter David's uh, one of his major uh, Star Wars books <clears throat> is quite good. But yeah, this this episode's a lot of fun. You finally get the payoff of meeting uh, death, famine and pestilence. Uh, Londo's references to his wives from a previous episode in season one. But um, yeah, there lots of one liners, lots of comedy. It's a very good episode. Uh, definitely one that um, I would I would watch in a in a rewatch uh, if I was uh, doing some skipping around uh, because it uh, uh, it's it, it's just a lot more fun than some of the other episodes. Blake, go for it. <laughs> so yeah, I like this episode, and it is one of the main comedy episodes that's came out so far in the series. And one of the things I think it shows, especially in this season, is the range of what Peter Jurassic or I can't say that right. The range of what Peter can play in the role as Londo. And we see him go from this one where it's the fun loving, having the party. And then we get later in the series as Londo keeps going through that almost transition on the path he's going to be going with to the character later in the series. And just that range that he has in this. I think this is a highlight of that. 
it's a fun episode. I don't like the Delenn plot in it, though. And my issue with it isn't that it doesn't make sense or isn't, you know, have a place in the series. I think it's too late in the season. Yeah, I think if that would have been earlier in the season when Delenn first came out of the Chrysalis and was working on that rather than in there now. Because what was it? The episode where she walked into the council chambers already had the hair done, everything fine. And now we're going back to the hairs all over the place and needing advice. So that part I didn't really care for. See, it's for interesting me, interesting because every newcomer, newcomer I hear, they always, they every episode they watch, they're like, we've got to talk about Delenn's hair, including your podcast. It's like, what's with Delenn's hair? And then you get a whole episode where yes. the plot line is, guys, we're dealing with Delenn's hair, okay? She knows how to bathe it and style it now. Get over it. We're not going to go on with it anymore. So it's kind of like a weird kind of jab at the audience as well. It's like, guys, we know she has hair too. <laughs> See, whenever I think of this episode, I think about the hair more so now than before and that's because i have two daughters with rather lengthy hair and i will post the picture of a side by side with delenn and my daughter addison because uh, a few months ago she came downstairs and she had gotten a brush just completely morphed into her head and she came down with the biggest pouty face i've ever seen and i i feel the girl i feel the pain i do uh but yeah i agree with you ryan i think this was absolutely hey we are, you know, six, seven episodes in and people on the Usenet are talking about how she combs her hair under the bone. Let's just deal with it and get over it. And, you know, I, I think we're gets a little uh, world building in here, too. The Mimbari secrete something at night. So think about that one for a while and have fun. This, no. this group doesn't need to think about anybody secreting. No. <laughs> I think I'll pass. Thanks, Blake. Nicole, tell us all about the secretions. Go for it. Ew, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I, I wanted to point out, which I forgot to mention before, was uh, the very beginning when Garibaldi was teasing Veer about picking up women, I could not stop laughing because it was so like, and Veer didn't even get it. Like, he was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, he didn't get it. And like, it it just seems so innocent and sweet and funny. Like it just totally, totally cracked me up. I was like, Oh, Veer, that was just so funny. And then, um, that, uh, Timoff, was that her name? The first yes. wife? Mm-hmm. I, I wrote down on my paper, Timoff, what a bitch. <laughs> I ended up totally changing my, um, like view of her by the end of the episode, you know? Um, so it was kind of funny, but I just wanted to point out uh, the Veer thing at the beginning. And and like, I think it was John, a lot of so many funny one liners, um, just the whole episode. It was just there was some deep tones in there, like Ryan pointed out. But I just I laughed a lot in this episode. So I'll uh, I just wanted to point that out. And then we I have a lot more to tell, but I'll let somebody else talk for now. Ironically, the one you called a bitch is the one who was really into right. breeding and calling other people bitches, which is interesting. Ironic. Right, right. Yeah, I, I like with Via, at the end, he took Garibaldi's advice and emphasized the word pleasure when he said goodbye to them. He said it was a pleasure to meet you. And it was nice. It was a nice little follow through on the gag. Veer is always a learning animal. John, what do you got? So I wanted to go back to talk about Delenn uh, for a little bit because it was the smallest plot line. Um, <clears throat> I do agree with Blake a little bit in terms of they could have addressed the hair thing earlier, but um, to Ryan's point, I mean, they did, right? So people complained they did. I actually, 
So like I said, I have questions coming out of this. I know we have question time, but I am wondering just how important those scenes were. So I know I can say without spoilers that it was important to see Delenn and Ivanova bond more, right? She says, hey, I trust you. That was good character development for the two of them. Now, seeing her go through and kind of have more human reactions, and again, especially at the end, that tag at the end about the cramps. So I wrote down, I said, and this is where the question comes in. I don't know if that was just a gag to go along with the rest of the gags, or if it's a precursor to talk about her transition into like humanity and how far that's going to go. Is it going to change? Is she, is she changing that much? You know, how much is too much human versus, you know, too little Minbari? I thought it was both funny and hopefully, uh, you know, I'll get to the question questions later, potentially one of those, you know, breadcrumbs that we talk about the JMS is so good at just, you know, dropping in one episode and paying off 20 episodes later. I, I, I took it as it was significant. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. It follows through on, um, Sheridan's sister asked in the episode she was in, she asked the literal question of has she changed on a, like a physiological level and no one answered that question for her. And so this episode's kind of like, maybe. Well, Nicole, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say, I just want to kind of bounce off what John was saying. Um, you know, at the end, it alluded to her getting her period. My thought is, oh, my God, if she can get a period, if she has sex with a human, she can get pregnant. And then are they going to have a Membari human baby? Like, in my mind, I'm just going, I was getting the red yarn out, you know, but uh, it, it it definitely was something like when she said that I was like, oh, that sucks for her. And then I'm like, oh, no. What if that means that she actually is turning physiologically different and could potentially conceive is she gonna like hook up with a human like what's gonna happen um and then another thing i thought of that whole scene was when lanier walked in and she had the curlers in her hair he was so confused and that made me laugh too um that was another favorite part of that scene but i i was kind of thinking that with you john too about like what what's gonna happen with this emily um, yeah, and I was thinking the same thing as Nicole, like, okay, does that mean if she was in a relationship with a human, would, like, could they reproduce successfully? Would it be human? Would it be Minbari? Would it be, um, like, both? Um, and then it also made me think in some, in one of the previous episodes, there were people who wanted to take away her authority and her position after the transformation because they didn't think she was Membari enough. So then it started to make me wonder, okay, if she's like physically changing even more than people can see on the outside, um, will that continue to undermine her position of authority if people find out? Justin. Well, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time where she actually states for the record, this was a voluntary transition that she went into in order to bring the Membari and the humans closer together. And that's one of the major questions that's going to be that I'm going to be thinking about a lot uh, going forward is what exactly is that going to entail? You know, because she's not exactly being embraced by either side right now. So what's what's it going to take for her to actually bring everybody to the table and going all the way back to humans are lost Minbari souls? What is she going to do to try and unite human and Minbari into one civilization is kind of wondering if I'm I guess I'm, that's kind of where I'm thinking maybe this is going. Yeah. And when she. First showed up at the council chamber, she did say she was doing this to become a bridge of the two species, but she's definitely getting more detail on it in this episode, that's for sure. John? 
Yeah, Nicole mentioned Lanier, and it was a note that I wrote down as well. It was interesting his reactions and his comments because I took them as, oh, that looks interesting. I might be down to try that myself. Or, you know, he touches his head and he thinks, boy, that hair looks cool. Maybe I want some rollers or maybe I want a sweet Afro or anything. I don't know. He just, the impression I got from what he was saying was, or, you know, uh, reacting to was that I kind of maybe like that and maybe I want to get me a piece of that. I also, since Justin mentioned him in his initial impressions, um, there was a lot of good Jakar in this as well. Um, he played a, a very small role, but a very important Hugh Hefner in a robe role, which I thought was uh, fantastic. And uh, for <laughs> for all the ladies out there, uh, I guess Jakar would say you're welcome. Also interesting that he just basically said or implied that we heard that he banged Londo's wife, which I also thought was hilarious because of their repartee in this episode as well, as it keeps getting better and better and better. Um, you know, the... the friend you love to hate. Um, I love that Londo was like, Oh, I love doing that to him. And he thought he was the cause of the, the headaches. <clears throat> Jakar again at the end, uh, Jakar had some awesome, great one-liners. So, uh, a solid Jakar episode too. Ryan. So, um, yeah, I agree. Jakar's great in this. There's a nice little piece of business where they're at the, the gala, the dinner, and, uh, he throws like a grape to Marielle, just a little piece of uh, cheeky business there. So if you rewatch it, you can see that he's already flirting with her there. But uh, I, I just want to come back with the Delenn thing. What I like about the Delenn plot, it's very, very small, but it allows her to have that conversation with Garibaldi and talk about soulmates and to talk about the soul and what love is and soul sickness and just how we throughout the story, even though it's a little comedy story, we're seeing Delenn have to grapple with what it is like to be in between. And she's here to talk to Garibaldi, who's also struggling with what it's like to be in between places as well, where he's having to flip between being security chief Garibaldi, who's always suspicious and paranoid, and the guy who's clearly got the feelings for Talia. And which one is the right one he's playing right now? Even the creepy ex-husband is just like, is this personal that you're going after me? Or is this professional? And so uh, even though the Dylan thing is small, I kind of like that it did tie into one of the major themes of the episode. Yeah, we need to talk more about snidely Mr. Piece of Shit guy. But Jesse, you go first. I don't know who we're talking about, but... <laughs> Talia's uh, husband. Oh, who yeah. Is, well, uh, let me just go back to Jakar for one second. Um, this is the first episode that I have ever even remotely found Jakar attractive in any way, shape or form. But when he was in his robe, holy shit, <laughs> he had it all. It was cut all the way down to his belly button. You could see mm -hmm. like a little bit of a six pack, which I've never really been one to be like super excited about like really fit guys, but something about him today was like, hmm, he's kind of cute. I felt it. If when you guys go back and do the rewatch and you listen to this again in two or three years, if you really want to hate yourself, uh, I think I pointed out like in one of the first episodes, we're going to see a lot more of Jakar. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. here we are. Yeah. We, we, we've Not what I thought you meant by that. <laughs> right. Oh, he was horny from the beginning. He wanted to whip yeah. it out in the first episode, but we have seen him in this robe before in Chrysalis when he came out with all of the human ladies and he was in his sex robe then too. Yeah, so it's... It's it's established that Jakar wears this when he's fucked. Just canon. That's canon. 
I'm just, I'm still thinking back to the amazement in Nicole's eyes when she found out that Andreas Katsoulis was the one-armed man. And mm-hmm. that made still, that interview for me. <laughs> still, I mean, I'm still blown away. I called my dad after like the next day and I was like, remember we were watching The Fugitive? That guy, oh, he was in the podcast. I like went off and he's like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> John, what do you got? Well, I kind of unfortunately wanted to turn it to something a little serious. Um, we keep talking about Jakarb, Drip, but Ryan actually made mention of it uh, in his initial thoughts too, which is something I wrote down where we talk about, you know, the wives, um, we can get into their dynamics, but their, their, I think it was uh, Daguerre who was, who'd mentioned, right. I am my father's daughter and Londo's wife and what society basically is, is raised. And um, you know, cause to Nicole's point, right. You, you meet someone and you kind of like have initial impression and most time it's probably bad uh, depending on how they show up and then maybe it changes, but you know, you don't really know what their backstory is or what, brought them to this point and the three of them, right. When I was doing the initial reaction, I thought, okay, Timov, she's going to be the stern one, but I don't know why I kind of saw that one coming. I was like, but she'll probably be the best one. And then Daguerre came and she was the conniving one. And I thought, okay. And then Ariel, I was like, okay, so she's the hot young one. Who's the, the sugar daddy one. Then by the end, you know, when she, when she makes those comments, she talks about it, you realize, oh, well, these women don't have any probably authority. They don't have any autonomy. They don't have anything going for them. They're basically, sold off to men uh, to be wives and their entire existence is based on that and based on them. Um, and as Lando made point, so I'll give it a little, a little bit to Andrew. There was definitely a Franklin ish creep factor when he was talking about, I'm going to divorce you and cut you off. You're not going to have any titles. You're not going to have any money outside of what you probably already stole from me. You know, when you see it in a different light and you think all they have is Lando, they probably didn't pick him. Obviously most of them don't even like him. They were given mm-hmm. As a gift, probably. And now they just have to live with him. And the, for the fact that at any time he can just say, well, now we're divorced, I'm cutting you off. And they might be homeless. I mean, the way he described it made, it make, made me think that they got nothing. So those mm-hmm. conniving or those like politicking and stuff, I had a much different respect for it and kind of a sadness for it than my initial reaction, which was to Nicole's more like, look at these bitches. But <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I'll Mar- back you up Mar- on Mar- oh. seems like the, the gold digger. But then by the end, she's actually the most cunning. Mario mm-hmm. actually had like a very, very clever plan by pretending playing up that she's the innocent young. Oh, I don't know anything. It was my gift all along. But to your point, even more, John, arranged marriages. That's what Talia's story is too. She was forced into a marriage and we're seeing the repercussions of that in a different way to how mm-hmm. Londo's one is where we're looking at Londo as the guy and he's having a lavish time having to divorce his wives. Well, Lee, uh, well, uh, well uh, Talia's story is from the woman's perspective and how she feels very pressured into what she has to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll add a little bit to um, the support for pestilence, famine, and death. And the fact that uh, realize too, when they were married off to this guy 20 years ago, he was an up and comer. We've heard about how he was in the wars. He was a fighter pilot. We've learned all of that. And then he gets stuck on Babylon five because no one cares about him. No one sees anything coming from him. So they've been dealing with the doldrums of not only being forced into a marriage, but being forced into a marriage. That's not going to go anywhere or help them out. Now, of course his star is now rising again and we know why, but that just started happening. So they've had to deal with a lot of crap and yeah, they do steal yeah. from his savings account, but you know, I don't blame it's, them. You know, it's you funny that the, Oh, go on. Is it, and Scott, you mentioned where they were when they ended up in these arranged marriages with Londo. But, you know, one of the things to touch on on the notes, and it was subtle, I think, but uh, Timov's father's name was covered briefly mm-hmm. in the series with Al Ghul. And anyone who's, you know, a Batman fan or any of that with Raz Al Ghul, head of the demon, you look at where Londo's going and the wife he keeps is basically the daughter of the demon. 
in Arabic. So, you know, there's the path of Londo star rising, but, you know, also where it's going in that foreshadowing piece that JMS does in a lot of his writing. And, you know, we know he was a Superman fan, so he, he's familiar with that universe too. And I definitely think there was an intentional nod there. Yeah, and Peter David as well, being a big comic book guy, he's obviously involved in that. But I just wanted to say too, I think it's very dark that Londo's fun little plot all hinges on the fact that he has successfully killed a lot of people and he's being rewarded for doing so. This is an episode where the Centauri Emperor is like, you've done a good job recently. And what he's done recently is uh, war crimes. Jesse. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that he chose Timoth because, so I had picked her from the beginning. The other two were just a lot and they were trying too hard. And um, I said to my husband, I said, I think that he's going to pick her. And he said, why would you pick her? I'm like, because that's what marriage is. She specifically says to him, I don't like you. I'm just going to merely tolerate you. And let's be clear to everybody that's ever been married. You have times that you go through that with people where you listen. I love my husband to the end of time, but he is the one person in my whole life that knows exactly how to irritate me the quickest, the most, like in the most severe way possible. And so sometimes you just have, you want somebody that just tells you how it is and doesn't lie to you and is real with you. And he said to her, I'm always going to know where I stand with you. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see him pick her and not the young little gold digger one. Nicole. I was just going to basically say kind of what Jesse said that I thought it was really cool that he didn't know that she helped him and she basically saved his life. And then he picked her anyway. He knows that um, where he stands with her. And I think with the other ones, you know, Marielle, like playing the innocent little, oh, I don't know. Look at me. I'm so cute. And the other one was really, really manipulative. I thought like, because at first I liked the second wife at the very, very first impression. And then I was like, oh, I've been bamboozled. These bitches suck. And then I was like, okay, I kind of like Tim off now. And then I was teamed Tim off after she gave him the blood transfusion. So, and I really love that foreshadowing what Blake said about the demon. That's crazy. So I do wonder if that is going to come into play at all into the show. Now that's another red yarn thing I have to add to my list. Emily. I was wondering what the divorce laws were because... Londo could only get these divorces because, you know, the emperor was happy with him. So it made me wonder what the laws are. And when he started talking to them about all the money they were skimming off his savings accounts and stuff, I figured, well, one, that was smart because if he divorces them, then maybe they got some money stashed aside. So, you know, they can pay bills or whatever. And then I was wondering, but what happens if they don't divorce, but the husband dies? Like, do they get anything or are they just sucks to be you? Good luck. Uh, Timoth was my favorite from the beginning. I was like, he better keep her because she's the one that's going to tell him what it is. She's not going to bullshit him. She's not going to manipulate. She's going to be like, yeah, I don't like you, but I'll tolerate you because, you know, this is where we are in our life. They've been together how long? She didn't seem like one that would want to put up with anybody else's bullshit. She was used to it. <laughs> so it worked in some sense. Well, um, she was the only one that was willing to save him, too. After the yeah. other two were good, just going to let him die. And yeah, I guess, I guess probably they were going to take his money because yeah. that's why that's why they were going to let him die so that mm -hmm. they could have all his money. So, yep. Yep. Uh, the one said that uh, as long as he dies before the divorce goes through, mm -hmm. they're fine. Right. They're set. Yeah, that's that's why Marielle did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does anything get contested? Do they have kids? 
do we know are their children have they ever mentioned a offspring like how does that work well they have six holes in the back and then we've already discussed this oh yeah. they come out the like close, the weird the little frogs where they like come through the back and aggressively. oh i didn't yeah. i didn't right. go that far but they're, they're frogs yeah the closest we've got is he said he has a nephew that's like a son and that's like the closest we've that's had true. thus far john what do you got? yeah i will say uh timov the biter twice i might add the other reason i'm glad he chose her and and to like jesse also kind of knew he would end up chose, choosing her and it gives me hope as i've been saying the last few episodes that lando is going through his creepy phase right now but he will come out of it and make the right choice and because he's got timog now i wrote down that she gets to be his conscience i don't know how much we'll see of her but it's at least establishing he's got his the little support network network. He's got somebody who will essentially tell truth to power and let him know as she's did in this episode, you're devolving. My imagination filled in since he's his first wife, you know, he married her when he was to Scott's point young, not really anybody didn't have a lot of clout, didn't have anything. Sure. He's maybe a soldier and she's been with him. And I like to think because I just such a Lando stand that he was maybe an idealistic dreamer and wanted to help get the Centauri back to their previous position. And, you know, had a lot of cool ideas and and was um, would do things the right way. And now that he's got his taste of power, uh, he immediately makes the wrong decision, which is a super bummer. Um, but hopefully that redemptive arc can come and Timov will be part of that, letting him know, again, like in this episode, you devolved. You know, you used to be somebody. You used to be a good person. You used to, to like good things. You're not this mass genocidal maniac who's making deals with the devil. I think someone had asked in one of the comments about, like, what is it about Londo that makes me think he'll end up choosing the right path. The first is I'm just a fan and I hope I'm not supporting the bad guy. The second is little stuff like this that I think shows that, you know, when push comes to shove, I think he will make the right choice. I think they also asked whether he would do it willingly or be pushed into it. I think it'd be a little bit of both. I think he'll be pushed into it. I've made this prediction before, but I think Jakar will be the one that figures out what's going on and will confront him. And I think it will be some mix again of like, ah, I'm kind of caught, so I kind of got to do it. But instead of doubling down on the bad, I'm going to help my friends as he as he builds relationships with Sheridan and, and everyone else on the ship. So uh, I was happy to see that. And um, yes, Andrew, unfortunately, Lando still got a little bit of that creep phase in him. But hopefully this is the beginning of the end. Hopefully he's moving out. And by the end of the season, he'll make his triumphant choice and defeat evil all by himself and all hail Lando. Well, like I said, I, I still like Lando. Just this episode didn't uh, sh- sh- show him in a very good light. Showed him in a funny light. I thought he was yeah. very, very funny. I loved Peter Jurisic's acting, especially when he was delighting and in informing them that he's getting a divorce. And he has all of those amazing line deliveries. One of my personal favorite just uh, interactions, just because we haven't had a chance to talk about a lot of the funny lines and interactions. One of my personal favorites, when uh, Marielle visits the quarters late at night and she's trying to seduce him, but Daguerre's already there too. And he's trying to, and they're trying to organize a threesome there. And then, no, no, this is wrong. We can't do this. Timov should be here too. And just the absolute devilish glee that Peter Jurisic has with that line delivery is great. But then the great cap of it is Timov coming in and just dismissing it all. I'm not going to do the sexual Olympics. And they're just trying to express this, show their feelings to me. I can do that and just slaps him in the face. The one thing I think many people have wanted to do in the show is slap Londo. And finally, someone gets to really slap him a good one. So I just, Tim, Timov's my favorite as well. I think everyone loves Timov because she's she just has that, the actress is very good. She has some great lines and she just doesn't put up with Londo's shit. So film boy. I got to ask, because yes. when, when it popped up, I thought about you. The fisheye mm-hmm. lens when he's drinking. Did you catch it? I did not. 
in the after the post after the opening credits we get some glorious close-up shots of a bunch of aliens and then londo having a drink like he's cheering he's, at the bar with everyone he's in like, the corner of the screen oh. yes and okay the yeah, lens yeah. is looking at him i'm like come on andrew's this, gonna love that it's so different is, than anything we've seen before yeah this episode is directed by the um the dp uh of the series so whenever he directs an episode keep an eye out because his ones are the best looking episodes even if one of them was tko hey tko uh, looked okay well also speaking uh, of that scene uh he's in the middle of delivering a a joke and he gets to the punchline what do, do we ever find out what a centauri air hose is I have a guess. Is, <laughs> do you want to know? Yeah, I, I don't think I want to know, but <laughs> I also like the the scene in Med Lab with with Franklin. Franklin just not taking any Alondo shit either. Stick it. So I, I don't, yeah, I enjoyed that. I think one of the Jakar lines that really had me laughing out loud in this, just because of probably just because of uh, Andreas Katsoulis's uh, delivery, was. Do I look like a rumor monger? It was so funny. Consulus is just unbelievably good. I did like uh, when they had the ceremony and everyone's not wearing their shoes. They're all barefoot, except for, yes. for Jakar. He's got his big <laughs> boots on with all the studs and everything. And they make a comment about it. And, he, and they're just like, you know how disrespectful that is? Yes, actually, yeah. <laughs> He's very delighted. Andres well, Consulus knows how to deliver lines with certain comedy and inflection that I, I i like very much but i just wanted to ask a bit about the talia stuff and the psychor stuff yeah. and like we get a lot of meaty and very disturbing information about the psychor and uh her ex-boyfriend has a lot to offer uh, her ex-husband i should say and the fact that she has an ex-husband uh talia i think jesse said it is a character that's hard to like because she's kind of not in the show a lot and whenever she does come in the show, they just kind of throw anything at it. Like, here's a former lover. Garibaldi's in love with her. Here's another former lover. And I just wanted to know people's reactions a bit to the Talia stuff. John? Yeah, actually, I was also going to change gears and talk about the Talia aspect of it. Especially, you know, we talk about comics, right? So Stoner is essentially the purple man from Jessica Jones, is, is what I took from that, which is super creepy if you think about that. I mean, that... that I don't know if you watched the the Marvel, the Netflix version of Jessica Jones, Matt Tennant's version of the Purple Man was frightening. You know, being able to get people to do what you want. In this case, his empath is a little, you know, do what pleases me, which again, super creepy, unbelievably creepy. Um, I definitely wrote down, I wish Mike was here, our new scale. He is at Franklin levels of creepy from the jump. He came in batting a thousand with that and just he got worse. I mean, just the, the things that um, he would say and how he said them and what he was after um, was crazy. One thing I, I did want to point out, though, because we the last two episodes, we talked so much about these power dynamics and like how it was creepy, what's not creepy. Sheridan's interaction with Talia was exactly what that's the not creepy way. That's what it should be. Hey, you know, can we talk about this? She's like, I don't really think it's your business. His answer is like, you're right. It's probably not my business. But as a friend. Yeah someone who's struggling. I see someone who's hurting. If I can be of service or if I can help, let me know. And then leaves it at that. I didn't get any weird, creepy sexual vibes. Like that's perfect. That's how you, how you help a friend. John, real quick to your point too, on the uh, purple man. I like that reference a lot, but I just heard a million voices cry out and they're all Dr. Who fans. David Tennant. Oh, by the way, number 10 and now number 14 is my favorite doctor. So it's David Tennant, but good reference. Thank you for saying it. I wanted to say it, but I'm like, I want to give John a break. He, he's trying. No, he, he doesn't don't give know he's sci-fi no well enough. We'll never hear the end of that one. Emily, go ahead. Oh, okay. So 
did I miss it? Did they talk about the age difference between Talia and Matt? Because I thought it said that he was like some sort of mentor for her, mm-hmm. which creates a bizarre yes. power dynamic. Just like and the Iron Heart. Yeah, then he gets exactly tested the with these like he can now control people's minds which is another really disturbing power dynamic which i think um moves into issues of gaslighting and other things and then just the whole thought that psychor's like oh we don't care what you think you two will get married because we want to breed more like you guys are going to find that more and more Psychor is just an interesting organization. Yeah, I've like I haven't liked Psychor from the beginning. I've thought they were just basically a garbage organization that was going to do really, really bad things. And it's just seems to be a very accurate assessment. Emily, to your point, too, about his ability to be, a, I don't know if you want to call it an empath or whatever. I actually well, they call it an empath. Is that what they okay? I actually yeah. don't like how they first introduce him because it's obvious he's controlling that guy. So the whole like I've given up my ability to be a telepath, we already saw that's not the case. So I, I mm-hmm. think it would have been nice if we didn't have that initial scene. Garibaldi could have figured out another reason why he's shady. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah. But, but I guess you need a reason up front for why Garibaldi is being suspicious so it doesn't make him look like a overbearing dude yeah. who has a boner for a girl and he's got it out for this guy randomly. I guess you need yeah. that. Which is all true. Hold open creepy thing. I mean, like the audience knows it, but, you know, Garibaldi doesn't know who this guy is or anything. So, but that switch in personality would have been like, hey, something's weird here. And even for us as the audience who likely already has a distrust of Psychor and knows there's probably people out there with telepathic abilities that aren't in Psychor to be like, oh, he's messing with someone's head. But is he like the weird robot dude that uh, Kosh was dealing with? Or is he like a rogue telepath, basically, is what I thought at first. Was he maybe wasn't originally part of Psychor and was someone with abilities? Blake. So what's the Talia and Psychor parts? I got to figure out how I'm going to make some of these comments without getting yelled at by Scott for the wrong section of the show. I can go ahead and pull out Jeff's buzzer if you'd like. We might need it. <laughs> but, you know, looking at the right one, I think we started off the show talking about the order of the series. And without going into plot, I will say this is one of those areas they start to build some of the pieces around the Psychor. And I actually think some of this would have made more sense in the broadcast order with this and the next episode flipped. Um, so there, there is some plot points in that that this kind of builds on. So I think that is part of it. But generally looking at the character of Talia, I think the character, and we know the character is not that well written. We've had issues with the writing with Talia and it seems like they pull Talia out whenever they're psychor and it's, well, crap, we need the telepath throw Talia in real quick. And I think they box themselves in with uh, portraying Talia as the quote commercial telepath. You know, She's in the background doing these business negotiations until, oh, now we've got Jason Ironheart. Oh, now we have, you know, this wanker that shows up. And we have all of these other issues where Talia keeps coming into the center as, you know, just, oh, she's your commercial telepath. So we see that it gets kind of boxed in with how she keeps coming into these situations and popping in. And I just don't think the writing's that strong. Just to bounce off of one thing that Emily was saying about um, the... I, I think he I think he definitely was Psychor. I think he even mentioned that it was Psychor. And I think Sheridan was the one that kind of pointed that out where he was Psychor. And then they said, Well, they will they let him leave. And everybody's like, You can't leave Psychor. Like, 
you know, what it was that Garibaldi said, you only go out feet first or something yeah, like that. Um, originally showed up. I wasn't sure if he was Psychor or something else. Yeah. I mean, I completely buy the fact that he was Psychor and he was just secretly retired from Psychor, where now he's definitely some kind of, to use a different, you know, parlor term that I would love to have is some kind of sleeper agent for uh, Psychor where they can send him to do black ops. What was he really doing at that archaeological dig? Probably some kind of Psychor related mission. I think it's definitely interesting to see, and, and you know there's never just one. So how many more of these empaths are going around pushing people to do their will, you know, is how, and then of course now let's get out the red yard and play that game is how many of them were influencing things with Earth Alliance? Nicole? So right from the jump, I got to say um, Garibaldi's uh, security skills were on point because he noticed the interaction between the guy yelling at the dick face and he literally saw the guy's change in attitude and recognized hmm, something's wrong here. And then when the security guard told Garibaldi, um, you know, he just kind of makes you want to like him and kind of, you know, when he was like, well, why is he eating dinner's not for an hour? He's like, oh, well, I don't know. He just asked for it. You know, like you can kind of see Garibaldi putting the pieces together that he's controlling the mind of of whoever he's interacting with. So I was like, there's no way that this dude is not active Psychor still. Even if he left, quote unquote, Psychor, he's still working for them off the books. And at the very end, when they basically give him the lowdown, Sheridan and Garibaldi are calling him out and saying, you know, we know what you're up to. We think that you are officially, you know, retired from Psychor, but unofficially still working for them. And just kind of like going and reading him the riot act about you know, we know what you're up to. And he was just such a callous prick from the beginning to the end, like the whole time. And I really just wanted Garibaldi to break his face. So, yep, yeah, wanker. Sorry, he's a wanker. I really liked how Garibaldi was just so sweet and protective. And I know I'm a Garibaldi stan and I'm standing the, you know, Talia Garibaldi relationship. But this also was a de- development, you know, for them as well, I think. Ryan. I actually really like Talia in this particular episode. I think she has the most difficult arc or story in the show thus far because she's a victim. That's a whole entire thing. They even say that in the first episode with Ivanova. And so it means most of her storylines is she's a uh, a victim or a weak-willed character. And so in a cast of characters who are all very strong of will, including even Lanier and Via, it can make Talia stand out as a character that's hard to um, gravitate towards in this large cast of characters. But in this one, I thought she was actually pretty strong-willed, even when she was under mind control. I actually like that scene where Garibaldi stopped her in the elevator and she snapped at him and had a go at him for his constant behavior that he's been doing throughout this entire show, but then was good enough to actually come back and have a breather and go, hey, actually, I'm sorry about that before. I'm just in a certain place. And I I also really love that final scene where uh, Matt Stoner, Stoner is telling her, you can read my mind. You can tell it's all true. And it's not even the fact that she doesn't necessarily want to slice a part of herself off, as she says about her psychic abilities, but... As anyone who's been in a, an abusive relationship knows, there's a, there are those certain mind games that 
abusers use to basically destroy bits of the other partner. And him doing that there is just a textbook example, but being used in a sci-fi story. It's a sci-fi allegory, people. It's a sci-fi story touching about an abusive, psychologically abusive relationship. So for me, this is actually one of those ones for where I look back and I just go, this is a like this is a good Talia episode. I also think that the actress actually gets a lot to work with. I think she gets to play a lot of different emotions. Her scenes with each character is different. Like how she talks to Sheridan is different to how she talks to Garibaldi and how she talks to so on and so forth. Jesse, I just want to double back to what Paul was talking about when she was talking about Garibaldi and um, how protective he was. The the this these are the parts of the show that I really throw really enjoy are the parts that are just so real and so um so authentic like what he said as as the security director he said um i see things i don't even know they're always there sometimes they're little um and they just put me on guard uh in that line of work 100% the case like you follow your instincts you follow um things that don't make sense to you you see something and all of a sudden the hair on the back of your neck is standing up that just spoke such volumes to me because it shows you that whoever the writers are are outsourcing um i would assume outsourcing either experiences that they've had or people that they've worked with and they're like drawing from all different um walks of life and it's it's appreciated and i just this this episode was very I think it was a really good one for Garibaldi and just to touch base on, you know, what you guys were talking about with Talia. Like I said earlier, I do believe that she's just so underwritten that she's just like, she just exists in the world and they use her when they need to, but they don't like, they haven't to this point, haven't developed her in any way, shape or form. Um, so it's, it's exciting to see what they're going to do with her. Emily. I was confused on how she didn't realize that he was in her head. Right being a telepath because i mean even like some of the non-telepath characters have figured out when someone when a tele telepath has been like inside their head so i was confused on how she wouldn't have recognized it as happening and i didn't know if that's just because it writing it that way fit better when trying to demonstrate an abusive relationship because it can be done in ways that the pe like the person being abused will not notice or like will not recognize um or if it was just kind of an overlooked bit yeah i think it kind of plays into because he's an empath we don't know how their abilities work in relation to telepaths but i i look at it as just a simple it's an influence of that person's emotions while telepaths and other episodes have been very much an influence of directly attacking like the mind and the brain. So it's a more hard hitting feel like you can hear people's voices in your head. So that's like a tactile emotion, like a tactile sense while this is just a, I'm altering your emotions, but yeah, it is left up in the air, but his character is also throughout the episode left up in the air. Here's that great line at Garibaldi where Garibaldi says, I'm going to keep an eye on you. And he tells him, you better keep two eyes on me. Yeah, I was kind of hoping Garibaldi would could have just like hauled off and smacked him with the chair for that one. Like, <laughs> I generally don't go for violence, but I feel like he just really had a go. <laughs> he had so many great one-liners, like that one where he asked where they had him in custody. And he said, if I call you an idiot in public, would you can you arrest me for giving away state secrets? 
Anybody else have anything they want to discuss before we get into questions, predictions? Did anyone else notice that Lurch was in this episode? Yes! Mm-hmm. Yes, I was, I was waiting for a spot yep. to mention that, yes. He had two scenes. Two scenes. Yep. Oh, was he the antique dealer? Yes. yes. Yep. Oh, yep. Okay, how could you miss it? Was <laughs> he was also on TNG. Mr. Well, played, um, yeah. Mr. Holm, Luxana's yep. aide. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the giant from Twin Peaks this season has had a lot of Twin Peaks actors yes. and writers. Uh, the Long Dark had Scott Frost, the writer of, mm-hmm. of writer of Twin Peaks. We've had like a few, um, Dr. Jacoby from Twin Peaks was Captain Maynard. There's a few just, whatever, JMS really was into Twin Peaks this season and he wanted people in it somehow and he got them. I uh, I liked him. He was also the Gollum. And I don't know if you watched the BBC Sherlock series. All, all the guest stars have been in a, a bunch. Super McCreepy is basically, if you've played any video game in the last like 30 years, you probably mm-hmm. Yeah. He's been mm-hmm. in everything. He's in it. He's well, in and, everything. And Jean Carr just showed up on Willow. So, you know, she's still acting. Oh. She she was um, Malcolm Reed's mother in Enterprise, so mm-hmm. she's also in Star Trek. Yeah, the creepy guy, Matt Stoner, he's in everything. I, I think most recently, I remember him in Supernatural, where he played a guy that was possessed by God. So you get to see this creepy dude just be like, I am now possessed by the Lord. And it's very strange because he still has that voice. Hello. It's, yeah. he, he sounds like he needs a throat lozenge every time he talks. Let's go ahead and get into our questions predictions where we ask our newbies before we just them out the airlock, what lingering questions and predictions they have after this episode, realizing they haven't watched anything after that. So let's go ahead and go to Emily first. Questions and prediction. I just want to know if we'll see Londo's wives again or ex-wives. So current wife and the ex-wives, if they'll make an appearance. I want to know how many more of these empaths created by Psychor are actually out there. And uh, if the people in Psychor have the capabilities of like counteracting their abilities, because it seems pretty uh, dangerous. And Justin, questions, predictions? Um, I think I've already kind of alluded to them. Basically, Sinclair's departure, I think, will become a topic where hopefully maybe even we see him appear on a show later. I agree with Emily. Like, how many more of these empaths are there, and where and where are they? What are they doing? Jesse, questions, predictions. I want to know how the Membari have babies, because <laughs> the question uh, at the end about her having cramps um, makes me wonder how she had babies before. So, and that's it. <laughs> Tell Jesse about the birds and the bees. That's what she wants. I know. Please do. Please. Oh. 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 Oh, and oh, the question oh, of where oh, we're talking that's about. how babies are made. She's talking, yeah, because I've already said she's talking about how babies are made and then has an orgasm. It's great. Oh, 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 yes. oh god. Oh, you see, I was gonna make it weird. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna make it weirder. I want to know how um, Jakar's um, built stuff yeah. looks like. <laughs> he, he's got a pouch, we know that. He says, Kiss my pouch a bunch. Yeah, he's a marsupial, as Andrew pointed out. I pointed out. <laughs> it was Mike who pointed it out first. Oh, was it Mike? It was one, two. Okay, so he has a pouch. Okay. To keep and it's pretty deep in. down because we've seen fairly far without seeing the pouch. So. But it's got to be, there's got to be more than a pouch because he sleeps well, with, I would hope so. with, with humans. So there's got to be something there. I Maybe know he likes like. to watch. I don't know. Maybe if he's you, like a dog and it's yeah. inside and it comes out. 
Here's what I want you to do. Red Rocket, Red Rocket. (laughs) He's got a zero to 60. Jesse, what I want you to do is go on Twitter and ask JMS these hard-hitting, important questions. I don't have Twitter, and don't get me cussed out, Scott. Like, listen. Fire a fuel use nets. I'm not not trying to be like you, sir. (laughs) Andrew's on Twitter. Andrew, ask JMS. Andrew, ask JMS. Jakar's. I'll get yelled at by him. Right. Maybe he'll come on here and yell at us in person. The use nets talk far less about tentacles and dicks than what this group does. So I, I know. Don't find the answer there. And abusive the characters, a lot less of that. That had that question, though, let's be very clear. It's not our fault they were soft in the 90s. Uh, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. On that note, John, questions, predictions, please. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, we have a ton of questions. But before I get to them, I do want to point out uh, Justin, you made me think of Jakar's hilarious line to Sheridan about Sinclair. Well, like, oh, maybe you'll disappear and then you'll go live in Mimbari and then you'll just be gone. Like, that was a, another good one-liner from Jakar. Okay, into the questions. So I have a bunch about how the Centauri, like, marriage thing works, right? And Scott, Blake, first one's Kevin. It cut me off if you either know the answer or it's not important or whatever, because I literally wrote in one of these, like, am I nitpicking? Probably. So like, you know, how many wives are you supposed to have? How many can you have? Is every marriage arranged in all of the different casts in terms of all of the different classes? I know there was a previous episode. We had that Romeo and Juliet couple-ish um, that, you know, wanted to be married, but couldn't or whatever. But I have lots of questions about how that works. Yeah, I think you, you hit on it. Uh, the only other time we know about this so far is when those cousins of Veer, or one of them was a cousin of Veer, were trying not to be married to their betrothed. And it was very um, culturally taboo that they were trying to do that. So based on what we know there, it seems like betrothal, especially in the hot, there's a tier system or class system in this entire, we've heard a little bit about. So especially Mm -hmm. in the higher class structure, it's kind of assumed that you're going to marry who your family wants to marry for gain. Uh, And when you don't, it becomes a problem. Yeah. yeah, you don't marry for love, except for we also do know, just to answer partly our all marriages arranged, we do know that Londo married uh, a random dancer at one time, and he talked about that, and then he woke up the next morning and he's like, oh, that was really sweet. No, no, she had this voice that could curdle milk, so Lando! we know also that he can, like, they can also not have to do arranged marriages, but it seems like the political sphere is you get arranged marriages, it seems, for at least the higher-ups. I just assume that marriage happened in Vegas. Which, thanks for that, uh, Londo, my dog is now growling. (laughs) (laughs) So Emily had mentioned it, but I also wrote it down, right? So how old are telepaths, not only when they begin their training, but when they go to, I think they call it the academy, um, because... We talked about it a little bit, I think it was last episode, we talked about yeah. uh, her tutor, or not tutor, her um, friend, you know, the older friend. Indoctrinator, was, yeah. And then now, was, yeah, Stoner is like, oh, well, here is my, like, you know, senior to my freshman is how I kind of took that, mm-hmm. which was, again, to Emily's point. Uh, Talia said last episode, she joined the Corps when she was five. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't remember her parents because she joined when she was five. And so the Corps... Mm is her mother, the core is her father. Yeah, and then there were some like uh, Jeffrey Combs who got it during puberty, and then they were yanked out of whatever they wanted to do and thrust into Psycorps. So he wanted to be Earth Force, but he had to be Psycorps. So we've had those stories too. Yeah, so really, I think it's it's as soon, and we will learn more, but I'm not going to, you know, get into anything else. But as soon as somebody presents themselves as a telepath, Psycorps gets involved. Right. 
But so there's, a, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. So like, did he meet her when she was five and he was creeping on her? And then she, what, they turned like, because the way she made it sound and maybe I just didn't hear, like it happened pretty quick that she, he was into her and she was like, what? And then Psycho was like, oh, you guys are awesome. You guys should totally mate. Yeah. Yeah be at least breeding age right for them to be paired together and cycle seems pretty screwy i mean ironheart was also her, her her teacher and mentor and he and that actor was clearly older than her as well so mm-hmm. it's not an unset precedent in this show that cycle is weird with that uh, i i agree they you know obviously have to wait for breeding age but knowing what we know of Psychor already i would not doubt at all if they did a dna test as soon as she walked in the door and said okay here's her matches let's get them talking uh, okay, uh, to go back to the Centauri women. So do they not grow hair except for the one ponytail? And is that only for younger women? Because Lando's older wives didn't have any hair. So like, obviously the Centauri have very distinct, males have very distinct hair. Uh, the women don't have any hair or at least one ponytail that may or may not stay through old age. I love the fact that I have to answer this question this way and not the other ones you've already asked. This will come up later. And so we'll talk about it later. Fantastic. There's a beyond the rim. Okay. I love the fact that I could get through the side core without saying that, but when we right. get to Londo's hair. So Garibaldi again threatens to space Creeper McCreeperson. Um, it, said, it said a lot. Does anyone ever actually get space? Is that a legit punishment? Because it seems super cruel and unusual. Remember the ombudsman said um, back in first season that the penalty for X, Y, and Z is uh, either brainwashing or being spaced. Or actually, they, I think they said the only time you get any space is for treason, treason. and mutiny. Treason and mutiny. Which, yeah. Which they were threatening with Garibaldi's right-hand man earlier in the season. Yes. So they actually... So they actually do, but it's, it's, it's very... Uh, it's not used because when somebody gets to that severe of a crime, most of them, as we've seen get the mind wipe. Right. Okay. Uh, this next one I mentioned a little bit, like why is, if Talia is as anti-psychor as she appears, why did she still lie to Sheridan? Why didn't she come forward with it? So Delenn's hair, I still actually have questions. So does it grow under the bone? Does she comb it under the bone? Does it grow out above the bone in a different direction? I'm, conf- I'm so confused about where this hair comes from and how it, how it works. So can I anybody have any fashion comments on her hair? <laughs> can, I, can I answer that for him? Ryan, go for it. John, you're going to go to the grave wondering that, okay, buddy? You're going to go to the grave. I wonder it. Everyone wonders it. It's just one of those things where they just said, this will be cool in makeup, and then you look at it, and you just wonder, how does it work? You're going to die wondering, okay? It's just one of those things where every alien show has that one alien where they go, ah, it looked cool. Is it practical? (laughs) Ah, nah. Nah, the trill, they have spots all the way down. Why not? Until they they only do that because we don't want to make Jadzia look unattractive because the, the trill did not look like that in TNG at all. No, they didn't. Uh, yeah, I, Ryan, you're right. But there's much more that changed to Delenn than just her hair, too. Her ears moved. The Mambari ears are on their neck. Now she has human ears. So, so much changed. It is just odd <laughs> well, Ryan's answer I'll go to my grave with it is better or worse than we'll talk about it beyond the rim at least behind the rim I can assume in a couple of years I might get that answer now I'm just known to doom to just look at Mira Furlan for the next three years and just wonder what could have been note to self John would rather be told to fuck off than to say we'll answer it later noted I've yeah. got it that's direct okay then i can fuck off and move on since we're talking about to um is you know are these human changes um is that 
like a precursor to, as was mentioned earlier, does that mean if she menstruates, can she have children? Are they more human than Mimbari? Blah, 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 blah. And then most of the prediction I've also kind of mentioned about what I think is going to happen. So, uh, Lando is still going to turn around on you, right? I'm team Lando. Have faith, man. Have faith. <laughs> Andrew, what do you got? I really only have, uh, one prediction, which is that, uh, Bondo uh, and Tim Alves, now his sole wife, uh, they will learn to legitimately like care about each other and it, like how we commonly think of a marriage. And I think she will be a driving force in his turning back to the good side. Nicole, questions, <laughs> predictions. So questions. Uh, I want to know, does, you know, Dylan now menstruate? And if so, can she have babies with humans? Also a prediction. I think she's going to have a baby with a human. She's going to hook up with a person and they're totally going to have a kid. Um, I think it's going to happen. And it's just going to be like the gap between the humans and the Mimbaris. And this child is going to be significant. That's what I think. Go ahead. No, I was just going to what does it say about my circle of fucking friends that... <laughs> All we talk about is menstruation and Jakar's penis. That's I have other things. I have other points. I have other ones. So uh, another question I had was, you know, what is going to happen with Talia going forward? Like now that she's kind of expressed that she's kind of over the side core and their bullshit, but also like that's all she knows. So she's afraid to try to even do anything else. So like what's going to happen with her? Is she going to stick around? Is she going to... um you know, find a way to try to get out of Psychor. Is she going to report what she saw in that vision? Um, I still think, John, I know you said uh, what you'd said earlier about that. I still think she didn't say anything to Sheridan because she was trying to figure out what her next move was going to be and trying to figure out who the person was. So I feel like, I guess, a prediction wise, there might be some more backlash from that as well. Are we going to see Dickface Stoner again? Is he going to come back and, and mess with them? Uh, and are we going to see more empaths? Like, are we going to see this become a, a concurrent problem uh, with people manipula manipulating the situation because they can? And then my other prediction besides Delenn hooking up with a human and having a baby, I think that, uh, I don't know, I, I think that this whole dynamic with the whole psychor thing isn't, I don't think this is going to be the last of seeing this specific issue with like Talia and, and battling with what she wants. I'm surprised nobody asked about, uh, do we see the 20th century museum in every single episode where guitar, uh, where the guitar, electric guitar was and Talia was strumming it for no reason. I had that sorry, very same guitar was, when I was a kid. She Jesus. was touching the exhibition. The guitar I don't think you can do that. No, no, no. The guitar was not the main point because I didn't write this down. The blender shake maker, whatever, in the back. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> that what humanity must preserve and to show other species. Have you ever had milk? Have you ever had ice? Let me blow mm -hmm. your mind with both of those bitches together. <laughs> you See, there's, there's actually a lot of interesting, not maybe interesting for a guy with a history degree, but what will people think of us based on archaeology? And for example, like they're going to assume that Abraham Lincoln was a god in our pantheon because there's so many freaking statues of Abraham Lincoln. They're going to assume the shake weight was important to our lifestyles, I guess. I don't know. And they'll probably assume that these golden arches were some kind of religious artifact. Yes, that was where they convened <laughs> for their, their Sunday giving of diabetes was the golden arches. What will I think of the fleshlight? It's <laughs> no. made out of plastic. It'll deteriorate. You're, not, you're fine. You're fine. Okay, on that note...
<laughs> we'll go ahead and wrap up our conversation with our newbies. We're going to just out the airlock, and then we will talk about all of these important conversation points, including the blender in the museum during Beyond the Rim. So until next week, when we talk about a race through dark places, I'm Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Blake. Justin. Andrew. Jesse. Nicole. John. Evan. And Ryan from Yum Yum Podcast, the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast in the universe. We're rewatching episodes of Babylon 5. We're uh, a bit way through season four currently, so everything's popping off. You can find me and the podcast anywhere. Just look up Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. And don't talk to him about Voyager. He gets really cranky. Oh, because you have shit takes, mister. You're like, oh, actually, Star Trek Picard's better than Voyager. Like, suck my dick. Whoa. As much as I hate agreeing with Scott sometimes, Voyager really did suck. What? <laughs> Not as much as Picard. Out. Can you fuckers do this on Beyond the Rim so I can go to bed and I don't have to listen to it? I love you guys. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, final warning, we will be discussing spoilers of anything that's happened after Soulmates. So if you've not watched on, this is where you should drop off. For everyone else, let's get into the questions and predictions from our newbies. And guys, the first ones really deal with the telepaths. We have uh, the first one is how old are the telepaths when they begin the academy? And what is the Psycor empaths up to? And will we see more of uh, Stoner and the empaths as well too? So I think we can kind of get all of those lumped into one little conversation. Yeah, I think we kind of talked about it with the telepaths and the academy. It's kind of left a, a vague enough thing, but basically once they know you're a telepath, they, they grab you in and try to train you or you get the sleepers or you go to prison. Yeah, I keep remembering the commercial yeah. we see later on when one of the ISN mm-hmm. episodes and I'm blanking Where they on the, have the name. testing centers and all that. And then, yeah, well, and the, you got the kid and the mm-hmm. kid's like, they bully me at school, mom. And then the psych guy shows up and says, you're a telepath, Jimmy. And then John, so I mean, yeah, well, there was John. I just made that up. But thank you. Uh, yeah. But so the absolutely the propaganda starts young and they definitely as soon as they can get their hands on them, they grab them because as Ironheart told us, and as we get figured out here with their breeding program, there's so few telepaths that they can't let any slip through their fingers. So as soon as they find them, they're going to grab them. Well, yeah. and some of that that I was watching that and what they mentioned later and one of those episodes is they also have screenings that they do. And I was recently uh, rewatching Man in the High Castle and, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about some of the Nazi connections and pulling Justin, you look at the screenings they did of kids for different things and through society. And you see the overtones of that kind of throughout with the 
Psycor and Earth Force, especially as we're heading into this descent into the totalitarian uh, state that we're going to end up with. So I think that's a very intentional way they did that. And again, even pulling JMS's biography with his own family, you know, his family has familiarity with what these people did. And yeah. I think he's projecting that into this, too. Man, the High and, Council. Now, that is a show that peaked in season one. Yes. I haven't, I haven't watched past the first two episodes, but it has um, Wang from uh, Space Above and Beyond in it. Yeah. Inspector uh, Keto. So it's great to see him. But just to think about the, the screenings as well, and uh, just an interesting thing about like how much they've got their fingers in the pie, that will also come back up in the next episode with uh, Franklin and how he reveals how he knows lots of things because doctors have to be used and have to be aware of what's going on with telepaths and finding them and then sending them off. So that's kind of an interesting little thread. I think we covered everything else on that too. I mean, we're not going to really see empaths again. We're going to mainly see telepaths moving forward. And I think the empath is just a one-time thing, much like Bureau 13. I'm still looking forward to when these guys figure out that they were so excited about Bureau 13 next ep- the last episode. They're never going to hear about it again. So which gets into our next remnants thing. of Bureau 13 throughout the rest of the season with control, but never yeah. the name Bureau 13 again. But Justin is so excited. We finally have an organization that has been pulling all the strings. I'm like, eh, yeah, sure. Okay. So to that point, if Talia is not loyal to Psychor, why didn't she tell Sheridan about Agent 13 and the surgery? And is the Psychor not net important? It just goes back to what we were just saying about propaganda. Talia is a victim of indoctrination, and that's a very, very, very difficult thing to break, especially for someone like her who grew up in it was manipulated at a young age, as we heard in the previous episode with Abby, literally like mind control, like altering her brain a bit. But uh, eventually, kind of, she figures that she needs to make a snapping point. But I think just, why doesn't she tell Sheridan anything? Is it because, at least I always wonder, is it because Sheridan on the outside looks like a good boy? Like a good, that's why they hired him to be on Babylon 5. Like he looks like, he looks on the appearance like a good boy. And Talia doesn't really know that he isn't all what he seems really, at least from at this point, I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think everyone's kind of still, aside from Ivanova, who's known him already, everyone's still kind of filling out Sheridan. And we're going to see that for several more episodes until they have their little sit down and get the spiel. But yeah, I mean, it definitely is something where uh, Talia doesn't know who she's dealing with. And also, I don't know if I actually prescribe to this theory or not, but I'm sure there's a theory out there that even though control is latent and not really taking an active role, we do know from last episode that control can pop up when it needs to. So maybe it's subconsciously holding her back as well, too. That was kind of what I was assuming, given the fact that it's clearly, you know, it's it's latent, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the episode where control gets exposed at that last scene when Talia's in the room packing her stuff up to go and Ivanova goes to see her and Talia says this line about uh as as control is taken fully over this one says I was the voice whispering her in the ear telling her all of the things to say to get close to you mm-hmm. so I, I think you're right control absolutely has a background influence regardless of which personality is in the forefront. Which, by the way, in my head canon, that's Control lying. I think Control said that just to upset her, because I don't think that's the case. But 
We'll have to see. So moving right along, how important are the scenes with Ivanova and Delenn's bonding? And is this a precursor to seeing more about her transition to being partially human? And how do Mimbari have children? I think this was absolutely Peter David and JMS saying, we need something for Ivanova to do. <laughs> so She's let's... a woman. So yeah. she can help Delenn. Because I would never say that Delenn and Ivanova are great friends. No, I don't they think we've seen much of this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cute, and I mean, you could have gone to Talia as well too, but obviously Talia had more to do in this episode. But I do, I still say that this these scenes between her, uh, these two characters are what stands out to me the most of this entire episode. Yeah. Even with Londo's wives, I just the Delin stuff is just more interesting to me. Maybe because we had get less of it, and we will get less of it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where it is. And in terms of how do Mimbari have children, we 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 never get told how Minbari could have children, but we absolutely, they are without a doubt foreshadowing now with the cramps and everything else that she now has, for lack of a better term, a uterus. And so that will come up, obviously. And this is them stringing that along saying she, it's not just facial features that have changed. Uh, Her entire inner bodily functions have changed as well too. It's not just the hair. No. Or the years. It's not just the bone. It's not just the fact that she has different nails. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone ever talks about that, but she has different nails after she becomes human. I, I find that a rather strange thing, but it's there. But we also, uh, I mean... The first season, she had like triangular nails all the time. It's just funny. Because they like true. triangles. They're Minbari. <laughs> as much though as this... I, I'm reading into this way too much, but you know, our guys have asked, how Minbari is she still... But now we learn, too, she still doesn't sweat. So she absolutely did keep Mimbari features and functions as well, too. I think um, one of our commenters on YouTube uh, stated that she believes that Dylan is almost 100% human now. And I don't think that's the case. I think she is absolutely a hybrid of the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's the question in season four when we learn about Delenn's lineage of how Minbari was she ever. Yeah, that's true. How Minbari are any of them, thanks to Sinclair fucking so much <laughs> and corrupting the the purity of the race with his DNA. Or yep. as we call it, souls. Yes. Now, anyone who glows has a little bit of Sinclair's glow in them. That's for sure. Does this mean that Delenn can conceive with a human successfully? Uh, yes. And will her continuing to change further undermine her authority even more as a Mimbari leader? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Naroon is knocking at the door saying, yes, yes, yes. Maybe I'll be back soon to yell at Delenn and have a very funny exchange where he talks and she says, Who's that? I don't recognize you. It's like, how the hell do you not recognize that scar sounding voice? Come on. <laughs> I always think about that. I think about that a lot. Nerun is Hello, the one Dylan. who knocks. Hello, Dylan. It's me, Nerun. Who? Yeah, we absolutely do know that they're going to conceive because we get David down the road. It's funny that none of them said Sheridan. That's true. That's true. I think because they're still stuck on the the Sinclair bandwagon. They definitely are. And they they can. But Sinclair I mean, had Catherine. <laughs> that's true. I mean, but and as we'll we will discuss when we release our uh, bonus episode on this. I mean, it absolutely was the plan that Dylan and Sinclair were going to get together. So these guys are reading into what they saw in season one, and mm-hmm. we we haven't had enough interactions with Sheridan and Dylan yet to see that chemistry. Because I think uh, next episode. Maybe, yeah, Mira and uh, Bruce absolutely have chemistry in this show. We just haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, next episode it will be when they go on their dinner date. I'm pretty right. sure. Yeah, they'll Which be they'll be shipping the two of them after that episode. I'm sure of it. 
They ship uh, everybody. But, but <laughs> I know, I know, ship. but but not yet because you're right, Scott. They they just haven't had hardly any interaction yeah. at this point, yep. and what they've had has been cordial, and that's it. Correct. Yeah, okay. and uh, I guess that they haven't shipped everybody because Monkey Man Bartender hasn't been shipped with anybody yet. <laughs> Negrath has Negrath been shipped with Lou? Oh, that's true. Lou and Negrath. What will it take for both humans and Membari to embrace Delenn and her being a bridge between the races? Mm, they're never going to. At least not all of them. They're, uh, never, they're never going to. Dis- dissolve the Grey Council and let the workers unite yeah. is the answer. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, the warriors are never going to fully get behind her. The religious Nerun uh, showed that it's possible, though. It that's is. Yeah. It is, but we don't, we don't see it. Um I mean, and even the, the let's take the bridge the other way. We see in deconstruction of falling stars that there's still humans that will continue to question everything as oh, well yeah. too. So I mean, I, yeah, I she's never going to be a full bridge well, for anybody. The cycle of uh, behaviors continue on and on and on. We mm-hmm. we we come back to fascism, we come back to bigotry. But even within the series, though, in season five, they make a point about how there are now warrior cast members in the Rangers. So there That's is true. a sway, there is a change, and she's seen as a whole, like as this big big figure in in Minbari culture. So I do think there is a there is sways and changes throughout. And just Nerun's existence as just an individual who represents many can show that things can change. I still want that Babylon 5 spinoff where you have Talon and Nerun and Veer and just the underlings all running the show. What are Centauri laws regarding divorce? We've already kind of hit on that. Anyone else have anything you want to talk about with that again? Well, on the part when the wives when the husband dies and there's the episode when Londo's friend comes back who's going to be disgraced with the Senate, uh, disgraced uh, within society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have the sword fight. And one of the things that he says is, you know, take care of my family when I'm gone and the wives. So I kind of wonder if some of it mm-hmm. depends on how the marriage ends or how the circumstance ends. That makes and, sense. Yep. You know, if it's a husband that's killed, is it an ally of the house that takes responsibility at that point or someone within it, the house who takes responsibility? So I think there's some pieces there that we'll see a little bit of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And for the for the B5 nerds out there who've read the books and know shit, apparently in the in the beginning movie, the children that Londo is talking to and the woman there are like uh, Reefer's family that Londo has taken because he, oh. he killed Reefer. And so he takes Reefer and he says that as Rock cried out in a hiding place that basically everything that was Reefer's is his now. So, again, possession is the thing that happens. But that's also in the case of if people get murdered rather than if they just die naturally or from other things Mm -hmm. so is disgrace part of that if the family is disgraced then i think Mm -hmm. family name is extremely important to centauri oh sure and lineage is everything and so if your name is disgraced then there's nothing you have you're right because reefer was disgraced because he got framed by londo for uh, trying to collaborate with the non Mm-hmm. And then he got stomped to death. Oh, I love that episode. Do we ever see Londo's wives and ex-wives again? No. I nope. don't think so. No. Why? 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 Because uh, Timoff is a great character. I would love to see Timoff again. Where was she in season five? Yeah. Where was she? No mention even. Mm-hmm. No. Unless by the time he becomes, and I don't know this, but unless by the time he becomes emperor, he annuls everything and he can move away from everything then. Cause he was, he didn't want to stick with Tim off. He was told by the emperor he had to have one of them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But I think he kind of does love her in his own way. Yeah. In his own little Londo way. 
Yeah. I wonder too, I mean, the trauma of losing Adira, I wonder how that plays into things as well too, when it happens. Mm. So maybe, you know, Ryan, you may be right. Maybe he does love Timov. And when he realizes the shadows will take out everyone he loves, he may push her away too, just to protect her. That's his motive. That's his, that's how he operates. Mm-hmm. Let's move into predictions, guys. So first prediction, Jakar will confront Londo and help him make the right choice to complete the redemptive story arc. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to happen a couple times, actually. Uh, but um, I was actually just editing, which you guys have already heard at this point. I was just editing our interview with Peter, and um, I, I put in that scene where Jakar and Londo finally, truly um, come together and realize that they can forgive each other. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. the scene where Londo is basically telling Jakar, I may never see you again. And then Jakar allows him the opportunity to hear from Jakar that I can't forgive the Centauri, but I can forgive you. Mm-hmm. And it's a powerful yeah. scene. It is. I watched, I watched that in preparation for the Peter interview and nice. you know, it, it struck me as, uh, as we were talked in the episode, how different uh, Londo can be throughout the series and mm-hmm. how good Peter Jersik was at portraying that, which is why I asked him that question, mm-hmm. you know, what he enjoyed doing more. And his, his answer surprised me that he really liked doing the comedy stuff. I thought that was really cool. He's a comedy guy. That's the always one been his big thing. The stuff he didn't like was the romance stuff because he wasn't used to it. <laughs> Because he never, as a character actor, he never got romances. And that's why he kissed with his eyes open, Scott. Hey. It was a bad thing. Sorry. Oh, come on. Come on. Oh, season one's back. Here we go. Okay. So, and Sinclair. End, oh, go ahead. As, and with the end of the redemptive arc, I mean, that, the end of that is the two of them with their hands around each other's throat mm-hmm. when he ends that to allow yeah. Londo to let Delenn and Sheridan escape. Yes. And freeze Londo of the keeper by killing yeah. him. But yeah. And of of course the most important player in Londo's redemptive arc is our boy Veer. Let's yes. never forget Veer as the yes. voice of reason. Good old Stephen first. We're gonna get so much more from him. I'm looking forward to the newbies really attaching themselves to him because they're going to. Sinclair's departure will become a topic and we will see him again. Uh yeah, but it's gonna take you another season. So although we will well, talk we'll about see the him Rangers. In this season. Yeah. That's true, because we'll he will send the message. You're right. He will send the message, mm-hmm. and we and will get the Rangers. Things. Yeah. Yes. Next one is a, a doozy. Delenn will hook up with a human and have a baby who will be very significant. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Except for we won't get to actually see or know the baby. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. True. Um, that's, that's the weirdest thing. I mean, because, you know, looking back at um, the original plan, David was going to play a much bigger role. Like he was going to be a character and we'll get into that on another day, but we don't ever get to see David, even the lost tales, they mentioned David and he doesn't show up. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I don't <laughs> care. I like where that, well, I like that they didn't give us things. That's true. I, I, I mean, am I curious of what David would have looked like? Sure. Would he have had a bone on his hair? Maybe. I'm more, I'm more interested in, what comes next for that lineage and if it's just uh is it the symbolism of david as somebody who's come together with the species or does he actually become something more gms's original plan was he becomes something more but i think it's more symbolic than anything else also you know the fact that we never really find out what happens with david and his keeper is interesting as well too well, we at least do find out in uh, Deconstruction of Fallen Stars that David had a, a dark period in his life. Yeah. You can imagine it connects to that. 
Yep, absolutely. Well, I think they do kind of go out of their way to leave it a little bit of a mystery because sleeping in the light, I mean, that was the perfect opportunity. You could have shown David at that point. Yeah. They even put in in the specific dialogue that he was busy with his training and was specifically told don't come type thing. I I agree with that choice because we don't care. And to Ryan's point, we don't care. I want sleeping in light to be the characters that I know and love saying goodbye to each other. If you interject another character in there, it's just a waste of five minutes that I wanted to be with Veer and. No, I, no, I, and so I get so that, but but again, I just think it does though add to the they kept David as a bit of a mystery. I think, and I think it was intentional. I don't think they had mm-hmm. a once the revised plan got in place. I don't think they wanted to give us David. Yeah, I think you're right. Londo and Timov will learn to care for each other and will be a driving force for Londo's redemption. (laughs) As we just discussed, poor Timov will not be back. She is exit stage right. This next one is even funnier. (sighs) Talia will defect from the Psychor. No, these guys are in for a rude awakening when we get to divide loyalties, aren't they? Because none of them them are even grasping on. I mean, the little nugget of hint they got last week where somebody is a sleeper on B5, they didn't even grasp onto that. I'm Justin my my conspiracy guy he didn't mm-hmm. even grasp onto it at all so i mean ugh, uh, these guys are gonna get hit hard yeah. <laughs> it, when we get to that episode oh yeah and it's very amusing because what they're what they're what they're thinking is what it does like was the intended plan does come into fruition but with lita yeah. who was the for supposed to be the primary character to start with i've yeah. never seen a show can't recollect a show where we started with a character then they had to leave for whatever reason then they got replaced by another character who also had to leave and then they got replaced by that exact same character like the first character again and it's just i think about that just being such a wacky thing and i can't wait for them to meet Lita again. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. That has been uh, a great conversation. As always, you uh, are an encyclopedia of useless knowledge, and we appreciate it so much. Thank you. I'm also looking at your shirt and now realizing it says Bake It So, and that that just is perfect. Yep, it's pecan. That that shirt, Blake, you need that shirt for your special project. But just so you know, I can't bake worth a shit, so that may not work. Well, we'll just assume. So, Ryan, you want to give us a little bit more about Yum Yum before we head off to the uh, unknown places? To the unknown places before you go to the uncharted territories, you can listen to my podcast where my wife and I rewatch and talk about episodes of science fiction television. We've covered Star Trek Discovery. That's where the name came from. And we're doing Babylon 5. We're making our way through season four currently, and it's been an absolute joy. We've had a lot of guests on there. We've had Scott on there. We've hoping to get some more people from this podcast on there at some point soon. And uh, yeah, if you are looking for some deep analysis on uh, episodes of science fiction television, come on over to Yum Yum Podcast. We uh, like to do spotlight sections on actors that show up in episodes as well uh, look over their stuff and where they are now and what we know them from and any interesting tidbits that we've learned along the way so uh yeah come on over to yum yum pod available pretty much everywhere we're on youtube even we've got all the social medias happening and we're on all the podcast hosting sites and you can find links to all that down below as well, too. So thanks again, Ryan, for joining us. So until next week, when we talk about A Race Through Dark Places, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Kevin. Ryan. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. The secret of our marriage's success, Londo, is our lack of communication. <laughs>